This Advent season, we are looking at forgiveness and some of the thorny issues that surround forgiveness. Because Christmas is a time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we have good food, we exchange presents, and it's also the time that old hurts and old wounds get resurfaced. And unfortunately, it's also the time that many of them get reintroduced and new offenses can occur. As people get ready to travel for the Christmas season and have family come in town and go see family, my hope and hope desire is that you would experience afresh the forgiveness of God in your own life and that you also would not only have received this gift, but that you would extend it to others as well. So our second week, looking at Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus gives this parable talking about the nature of forgiveness. Follow along with me as I read this parable. Peter came up to Jesus and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and all that he had with his wife and children, and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servants Servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly Father, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Join with me in prayer. Father, we pray for your spirit to illumine your word, to make it alive in our hearts. For Lord, we do believe what your word says, that your spirit attends your word as it is preached and proclaimed, and that it will accomplish your purposes. And Lord, we pray for your spirit to open our, open our, open our hearts and our souls to meet you, to be changed by you, to experience your love and grace anew and afresh this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a little over a year ago that Amber Geiger, who was an off-duty police officer in Dallas, Texas, entered the apartment of a 26-year-old accountant by the name of Botham Jean, shooting him and killing him. She said, that she thought later that it was her own apartment that she had gone into, and she mistook him for a burglar, and so she shot and killed him in his own home. One year later, just a few months ago, 
Uh, she was tried and she was convicted of being guilty of murder and she was sentenced to 10 years in pri- prison. During the final days of the trial, there was an opportunity given for a victim impact statement to be made. The brother of Botham um, took the opportunity and he went up and he shared the impact of the loss of his brother on him. And he also very boldly shared that he said, if you want to honor my brother's life, the most significant and important thing that you could do is realize that you are a sinner and that it is only Jesus Christ who can forgive you of your sins. And you need to turn and put your faith and your trust in him to be forgiven for what you have done. And as he began to share the gospel with her, he paused after a little bit and he asked the judge if he could get down and he could give her a hug, which was granted to him. And he came down and he hugged her. And as he hugged her, he told her that he forgave her. How is that possible? How is it possible for for someone to do this, this remarkable act of forgiving? It comes because you have somebody who understands the depth that they have been forgiven through their faith in Jesus Christ, and they are forgiving others as God has forgiven them. Last week, we were looking at this first half of this parable where we looked at the enormous cost that God has forgiven of us in our lives. This servant was owed 10,000, he owed him 10,000 talents. You might equate that to $16 billion today. And I said last week that one of our greatest challenges to us not forgiving other people is that we don't own the debt. We don't realize and embrace how much we have been forgiven and how great God's love for us is in Jesus Christ. And so I asked you last week to focus and to meditate upon not only the amount of debt that you have been forgiven, but to meditate on Jesus' love, which is greater than our sins and greater than what we have done. Having focused on this this week, we're examining what must happen if we have received God's forgiveness in our own life. And what this parable makes clear is two things, is that as Scripture also teaches more broadly, is that we are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. That we would not only recognize the enormous debt that has been forgiven on our behalf, but as we have been forgiven, that we would turn and forgive other people. Jesus makes this so vivid as he describes what happens. The master forgives the servant this 10,000 talents, the $16 billion debt, and here's what happens next. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's exactly what he pleaded with his own master. But he refused, and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Sit in this parable is being illustrated as this huge debt that we have, and it hears And here in this passage, it's described that the debt against him, the debt that another servant did to him, and that owed him was a hundred denarii. Now, sometimes when this passage is taught, what it's taught is that there is this enormous debt before God, and then the wrongs done to other us, they're not really that significant. They're they're kind of just like chump change compared to it. It's like pennies pennies on the dollar. That's not exactly the point that Jesus is making. Because when he says that this other servant owed him a hundred denarii, one denarii was equivalent to one day's wages. 
And so to be owed 100 denarii is roughly to be owed one-third of a year's worth of wages. So take your annual compensation and divide it by three, and you roughly know how much this person was owed. That is a real debt. It is not insignificant. As I mentioned that, we need to pause and address three different ways that the Bible's teaching on forgiveness has been misused, misunderstood, and abused. The first one is this, is to understand, is that forgiveness and true forgiveness does not minimize sin, rather it deals with it. It doesn't minimize it, but it actually deals with it. It doesn't just say, oh, just forgive and move on, get over it, it's not a big deal. No, what forgiveness does is it looks sin and addresses it in all of its honesty and in all of its ugliness, and it deals with the actual debt. Is there a real debt or not when we sin? Yes, absolutely. Is there a real debt or not when someone sins against us? Yes, absolutely. Here it's illustrated as someone owing a third year's salary. Take your pick. You know, 100 denarii. If you owe, you know, the average income of St. Mary's County, you know, it comes out about $30,000 worth of debt. Some of you have school debt of $30,000 or more. How long does it take you to pay that off? More than a decade sometimes to pay, off, to pay it off. Would you care if someone owed you $30,000? Absolutely. Absolutely. And what Jesus is emphasizing here is that the sins, sins done against one another are not insignificant. Is that there is real damage, and there is a real cost, and there is a real debt that has to be paid. And when you are the one who is offended, you have two options before you, two legitimate options, two God-honoring options. There's many options, but two legitimate options here. One of those options, biblically, is that you can overlook the offense. And what that means is that you don't just sweep it under the rug only to trip on it later or to bring it out when it's convenient. But to overlook an offense is to say, I'm not going to recognize, I'm not going to record this. I'm, not, I'm, going to, I'm going to overlook it as if it didn't happen. The other option is that you forgive the debt. That you deliberately, intentionally, and consciously, that you forgive it. And typically, it's good to let the other person know if you do that. And so forgiveness does not minimize sin, rather it deals with it. The second misuse, indeed even abuse, of the biblical teaching on forgiveness is that forgiveness does not renounce justice. It does not necessarily renounce justice. It can, but it does not necessarily renounce justice. The story of Botham Jean's brother went viral, and it was amazing that how many national news stations actually picked up him sharing the gospel with somebody and telling someone about Jesus in their news feeds. And you might have seen that, and it's worth Googling and looking up to hear what he had to say in that beautiful moment. And just as much as that went viral, what was also an equally true biblical statement was not, what, not just what his brother did, but what his mother said after the conviction. Because after the conviction, she was too put on the news and asked and was being interviewed. And her comment was this. She said, forgiveness as a Christian is healing for us. And in that, she's recognizing two things. She is recognizing that in order for there to be any healing in her own life, she has to forgive. 
that there's not going to have healing in their family unless they forgive. And she also recognizes that unless there is going to begin to be healing for the offender, for the person who murdered her son, there has to be forgiveness there as well. But she goes on to say this, forgiveness for us as Christians is healing, but there still are consequences. It doesn't mean that everything else that we have suffered has to go unnoticed. And she goes on and you hear two things. You hear a call for forgiveness and also a call for justice. And both of those are biblical truths. Grievously, biblical teaching on forgiveness has been misused and abused to keep people in abusive situations. Grievously, abuse has not been stopped because abusers, those who were abused, were just supposed to forgive their abusers, and their abusers were just forgiven, and there was no justice, and there was no repentance, and people were allowed to stay in positions to perpetrate abuse again. Now, let's remember the context of this parable. Peter asks Jesus the question, how many times do I have to forgive my brother if he sins against me? As many as seven times. And Jesus says, not seven, but 77 times. With that in mind, let me read this to you. This is from Lewis Smedes, who is a Christian ethicist. He asks the questions, how many times should you forgive your household bruiser? Here's his answer. You should not even think about forgiving him. Not yet. Not as long as his foot is still on your neck. Because your problem at this point is not forgiving. Your problem is getting out of his reach. And once you get away from his reach, you can then think about forgiving him. And so while the Bible calls us to forgive 77 times, it does not call us to position ourselves and to push and position somebody else in a position where they can be hit again. Forgiveness does not renounce justice. But what it does renounce is it does not renounce justice, but it does renounce vengeance. It renounces vengeance. Paul declares in Romans, Behold, God says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now, the difference between vengeance and justice is this, is that vengeance is the pleasure of seeing someone who hurt us getting it back and then a little bit more. It's the pleasure that we receive in seeing someone who hurt us, seeing them suffer or seeing them pay. Justice, on the other hand, is the fair penalty, often accompanied by restitution, which biblically is not just the wrong that was done, but also the wrong that was done plus some. Not just the debt, but the debt plus some. So justice is the fair penalty and restitution for wrongdoing, even if the injured person takes no pleasure in the transaction. Smeeds goes on to put it this way. He says, vengeance is having a videotape planted in your soul that cannot be turned off. Vengeance plays the painful scene over and over again inside your mind, and in each time it plays, you feel the clap of pain again. Forgiving turns off the videotape of pain memory. It is forgiveness that sets you free. 
To put it differently, vengeance is personal satisfaction, justice is moral accounting. And biblical forgiveness does not, biblical forgiveness does not renounce justice, it renounces vengeance. Third piece that needs to be clarified here is that forgiveness also does not grant reconciliation, and this is wrong, it offers it. Forgiveness does not grant reconciliation or restoration, it offers it. And next week we're going to dive into kind of the mechanics of what it means to actually ask for forgiveness when you're the one who has done the offense. But Counselor Dan Allender has worked through many relational situations and deep hurts with people. It says, reconciliation is costly both for the one offended and the offender. The offended forgives and cancels the debt and offers the opportunity of reconciliation. The cost for the offended is that they forgive the debt, even though it might not be reasonable to do so, given it. But the cost for the offender is repentance, is that reconciliation is never one-sided. Forgiveness is an offer, but not the granting of reconciliation. Smeeds puts it this way. It takes one person to forgive, but it takes two people to be reunited. And there are offenses in this life that are so grievous that full restoration in this life is not possible. There are offenses so grievous that full restoration in this life is not possible. There is absolutely no situation where a child, should, child abuser should ever be put or be restored to working with children. There is no situation where that should ever occur. And so forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Rather, it is the offer of reconciliation. So you take these different pieces, what is forgiveness then? Well, it's this definition we've been working off of since last week is that forgiveness is releasing a guilty person from the debt due for their sins against us. And the call of Jesus is to consider the enormous debt that you have been forgiven and forgive as you have been forgiven. I know many here have never experienced the kind of forgiveness that I'm describing this week or last week. Many of you have never experienced that. You live in a world of hurt and counter-hurt. That maybe there's times that you, have, that you have been the one who has been put in harm's way again and again. And so our tendency can often be to say, you know what, I'm just going to ignore it. And then hopefully time will go on. They're going to forget. We're going to forget. But ignoring it just is kind of like a callus over a festering wound. It doesn't deal with it. And I also, as I've highlighted this week and last week, is that forgiveness is hard. And it is, it is costly. But the hope that Jesus is offering to us is that there is forgiveness and there is healing for you. There is freedom from the debt that you have incurred and the debt that you have, that has been incurred by you and the debt that is incurred against you. There is freedom and there is healing and it comes through Jesus Christ. And if you're here in the midst of working through some of the naughty, thorny-ish aspects of this, as I'd encourage you is to have someone help you. We have our counselors come down on Fridays. You can talk with our elders, and they'd be honored to journey with you in this path of being freed through forgiveness. For we're called to forgive as God has forgiven us. 
The second aspect that Jesus calls us to and what this looks like in our relationships is not only do we forgive as God has forgiven us, but he makes it very clear that this isn't perfunctory, this isn't just lip service, but we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us and to forgive from the heart. Here is how Jesus illustrates this. He says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, he delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you. Do what? And in anger, he delivered him over to the jailers. The word here translated as jailers is actually a euphemism. It actually means torturers. So also will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive from the heart. He's not satisfied with just this outward lip service. Why such a drastic response, right? Like, why so serious? I mean, that's pretty stark. Why so serious? It's because the Word of God, God's Word, always links God's forgiveness of us with our forgiveness of others. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Why so closely linked? It's because if you choose not to forgive, you are choosing to live and to be judged by the law instead of living and being judged by the grace and mercy of God. That you have the choice to live a life of limited grace and unlimited vengeance, or you can live in a world of unlimited grace and unlimited forgiveness. The reason why God takes this so seriously And our forgiveness of others so seriously, as one author puts, is not because there is no remedy for your sins, but because you have rejected the only remedy that there is, which is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Rejected it not only for yourself, but for others. But the emphasis that Jesus wants us to have in understanding, and understanding this not only our necessity to forgive, is not, is not just to understand our debt, but more than that is to understand that he forgave it. That not just simply did you have this debt, but out of God's love and mercy, he is the one who forgave it. That he is the one who has set you free. Now let's consider this, how this works out here. It says, I forgave you all that debt. Well, How much was owed him? Roughly a third of a year's wages, so maybe $30,000. Take it up, take it down, wherever you want to with your number of what a third of your year's wages would be. But he owed $16 billion. Now, for those of you that that like math, that is over 500,000 times the amount of debt that is owed. That is one, one millionth of the amount that had been forgiven. But the point of this parable, as we have looked at, is not that the wrongs done against you are insignificant. It's acknowledging, yes, they are significant. That is a real debt. But the point of the parable is this. Look at how much you have been forgiven. Look at how much you have been forgiven. And look who it is that has forgiven you. 
Focus on the love of God that has set you free, that is bigger than your sin and bigger than the sins of others as well. So he says that we are to forgive and to forgive from the heart. Well, let me give you some practical advice of what that looks like. Lewis Smedes gives this advice. He says, when forgiveness is necessary, don't wait too long. We must begin to forgive because without forgiveness, we choke off our own joy and we kill our own soul. People carrying hate and resentment can invest themselves so deeply in that resentment that they gradually define themselves in terms of it. That their life becomes defined by what someone has done to them. And Smeed says the only way that you push against that is through forgiveness and to start that and to start that process sooner than later. He also identifies that forgiveness is necessary. And it is necessary for them to have healing, but it is also necessary for you. He states, the first and often only person to be healed by forgiveness is that he realized that oftentimes when in really difficult situations, forgiveness, is, forgiveness doesn't always work out in ideal, ideal circumstances. And so he says this, the first and often only person to be healed by forgiveness is the person who does the, forgive, who does the forgiving. Often the only person that's healed by it is the one who does the forgiving. When you release the wrongdoer from the wrong, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free. But you discover that the real prisoner was you. That when you forgive, when you release a wrongdoer, you cut a malignant tumor out of your inner life. You set a prisoner free, but you discover that the real prisoner was you. Well, how does this happen? What does it look like when you say, okay, I've forgiven, I, I think I've forgiven somebody. How, how, do I, how do I know if I've actually forgiven them from the heart? It's not just this perfunctory thing I'm doing. Smeeds gives this identifier. He says, you will know that forgiveness has begun. I think you'll know that it's from your heart. When you recall those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well, that your own heart genuinely wishes them well. He says that's when you know that forgiveness has begun in your life. As I mentioned, the emphasis of this parable is not on the wrongs done to us or the wrongs that we ourselves have committed, but the emphasis is on the enormous grace of God that is greater than your sins and greater than the sins of another as well. So I'm going to do something a little bit different. So what I want to do here is I want you just to listen to the truth of Scripture and listen to God's love for you and the enormous love that he gives to you in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, so close your eyes, listen to what the Word of God says. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Trespasses, those are the things that we know that were wrong and we did them anyway. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, 
according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and in all insight. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. Come now, says the Lord. Let us reason together, though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you, declares the Lord. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnants of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You, O Lord, will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Indeed, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where your sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's grace is big enough for you. It is big enough for others as well. You see, God has commanded us to forgive as we have been forgiven, to forgive from the heart. Forgiveness is costly, but you don't have enough in yourself to pay someone else's debt, let alone your own. But if you are trusting Christ Jesus, you have more than enough, for your debt has been forgiven and you have been set free. And if you forgive and when you forgive, the grace of the Lord Jesus flows through you so that you and they can be set free. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Forgive as Christ has forgiven you in his amazing, incomprehensible, unending love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your grace is amazing. While our debt is great, your grace is greater. While the debts against us are significant, Lord, your grace and the payment that you gave on the cross and the life that you purchased through your resurrection from the grave is bigger than not only our sins, but also that it is bigger than the sins of those who have sinned against us. Lord, when you were dying on the cross, you yourself said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Lord Jesus, may we be so enraptured by your grace, so overwhelmed by your love, so transformed by the enormity of your love which covers our sins. Lord, may we see how insignificant the sins against us are in comparison. And Lord, may we be eager to show others the grace and love that you have shown to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the one who paid the penalty for us. Amen.
please stand and join with us as we sing to the one who has forgiven.